Hey everybody, this is Sean. Hey, and this is Kevin. And welcome to another episode of Shot by Shot. We have a wonderful guest for you here today, Miss Naomi Baker. Kevin, how did you first encounter Miss Naomi's wonderful work? Well, you know, I, I, she was one of those people that I was not aware of. Um, stumbled across her on Instagram, was immediately sucked into her page and uh, like, wow, who is this person? And come to find out she's you know, a huge video game concept design artist, works for Marvel, uh, you know, doing all these, the, the cool stuff that uh, that's behind the scenes that she's got NDAs and doesn't get to talk about very much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just incredibly talented uh, artist and an absolute uh, joy that uh, we, we reached out and she said yes to be on the show. Well, it's funny because we have two, we have a host and our guest who pretty much have the same job. Brian doesn't talk about it, but he is also on the Marvel payroll to help develop illustrations and concept art. My, my entire goal here was to try to get Naomi, a senior illustrator at Marvel Studios, and Brian to break their NDAs. Did that happen? No. No. No, it did not happen I, at all. Like, I don't know I, if Brian ever admitted that he works for the House of Mouse. Yes, Brian is in fact a uh, concept illustrator, designer for Marvel, as is Naomi. Uh, neither of them would let us know what they're doing for X-Men, for Fantastic Four, for all the things that I'm guessing they're working on. And they might not, who knows. Naomi was gracious enough to walk us through her process how she approaches art and her inspirations as well. I mean, this is somebody who's worked on Activision video games that are both fantastic and more military driven. And now she illustrates superheroes as they're seen on the silver screen. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yes, without a doubt. And she's a hell of a video game player. Oh yeah, I mean, honestly, if I, if I thought I could get you and Brian to talk about Elden Ring, I, I absolutely would make you discuss that for an entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, I am not a video game person. Sure. Uh, I appreciate it, uh, but I don't have time for it, unfortunately for me. This is the fantastic Naomi Baker. Naomi, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a fan of Brian's and you know comics in general. It, it's such a funny show because I feel like Brian will lead the conversation because he's much more versed in the arts than than I am by any stretch of the imagination. But I was thinking of the low key, the low key theme of this will be trying to make you and Brian break your NDAs because you both do the same thing and can probably say so little about it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's some pretty thick NDAs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I. Uh... I don't know if I should be here. No, I'm just joking. Well, it's okay. You did bring alcohol. It's called shot by shot. We do that for a reason. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good at um, being stone faced, even, even among family and closest friends. So. Yeah. It's easiest not to tell family because, you know, for me, like they don't care what I do. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about it with them. So, so let's start off. What's everybody drinking tonight? Uh, I'm drinking green tea tonight. Um, you know, just something, something nice and relaxing. Uh, I think Naomi and Kevin are both going to blow us away. I, I, we, we have a preview of what they're drinking. Yeah, let's let our guests go first. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, 
So I, well, I don't have the bottle, but I am having a pour of Oban. It's 14 year. Nothing Whoa. too wild. <laughs> I have the exact same thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> what, yeah, cool. For the listeners, we got a preview. She said, I'm going to open this bottle. And I was like, I need to go grab something uh, out of my liquor cabinet. And I actually had a, and it's 14 too. That's pretty funny. So I had the wow. same thing. Because we never do that. We never, everyone is always drinking something different. So tonight we'll do a virtual cheers of the same virtual bottle. Oh, I love that. That's okay, awesome. So, so Alabama and Virginia win. <laughs> yeah. Now, but you're from Virginia, but not in Virginia now, right? Yeah. I um, just happened to be born in Arizona, but I grew up my whole life in Virginia. And you're oh. now West Coaster? Yeah. West Coast, uh, currently L.A. And L.A. seems more your speed, too. Uh, after college, I actually... Um, God, what year was that? 2008 or so. <laughs> I uh, started in video games on the West Coast after college, and I was there for, I was already here for three or four years. And um, three months ago, I was in Seattle for almost 10 years. So I just yeah, moved back recently to work on staff at Marvel Studios. So you worked for Activision, correct? Yes. Yes. It's so interesting. And Brian can articulate this much more than I can, because from what I understand, you were working on Activision games that were very like photorealistic and very like military. And it's such a huge difference from kind of the work I've seen you do more recently for Marvel, which is much more fantastic and imaginative. So at Activision, I was part of a small team um, that it was kind of like an in-house outsourcing studio. Uh, so there were about, I think, uh, four or five of us in a small studio in Santa Monica. And we touched on many different Activision titles uh, from like Spyro, Guitar Hero, uh, Call of Duty. And so we worked in many different styles. And within those, we would do different tasks like storyboard or background, even a little bit of 3D like ZBrush, like bits and bobs uh, here and there. So it was it's across the board. Varied. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's really interesting that you, you'd say that because I mean, one of the things that fascinates me about your work is just, just the, the range of it. Um, the, the fact that you can really cover a large scope of just different techniques and different um, styles, but uh, you can you can also move very gracefully from almost cartoony or comic booky to absolutely uh, kind of photorealistic. Um, do you do you think your time at Activision kind of like the fact that you had to do such different stuff kind of broadened your range? You know, that's a really great observation and point because I never thought of it that way. I think. I do have that uh, first experience to thank for opening my like horizons, especially right off the bat, because out of college, I was approached for, hey, you know how to draw. Was, I didn't have any extensive personal projects at the time, um, but the things that I did post were a lot of life drawings, uh, coffee shop drawings, 
And so to go from there to the studio, uh, thankfully, uh, I got to have my hands in you know, things like ZBrush or, or Maya and a storyboard and uh, photo techniques and just getting better at Photoshop. Uh, yeah, that was a great, that was a great jump down point. I think. Well, another thing that, that fascinates me, and I, and I think it's, it's, it's part of what you're talking about, is that uh, your style isn't necessarily uh, a specific visual thing, but your style is more of a, of a feeling. You know, it's, it's more of a, you, you have this kind of weird combination of being like precise, but romantic and at the same time chaotic, <laughs> you know, where where I can I can recognize your stuff, but it's almost like uh, Sienkiewicz, where you can't point to a thing and say that's a Sienkiewicz thing, but you can always recognize the feeling of his uh, of his work. Is uh is is that something that that you pursue, or is that just something that comes out of what you do? Oh gosh. All of those lovely words and names <laughs> together. <laughs> wow, it is. It in. So what's really important to me at the end of the day is uh, feeling like something is drawn, say painted or drawn, and it's hard for me to even explain. But uh, that is ex- uh, important for me to. Uh, put across is that that feeling or not necessarily not necessarily emotion like an emotional piece or anything but some type of like you can feel something in in the work it's hard to explain so I don't want you to think uh the work is trying to make you cry or or upset or happy or anything it's just like a feeling and I sort of imagine you as as not not an artist that kind of is working with charts and graphs and kind of getting things right, but almost as if you work like a chef that's kind of at the end of a piece, just kind of trying to hone in a certain flavor, you know, more so than than getting in a certain look to the piece, you know, and uh, and and that's something that I think permeates uh, everything that you do, from the uh, the figure drawing stuff all the way up to the, uh, the, the digital uh, painted work. There's just, there's just something, something about it that has a certain uh, seasoning, for lack of a better word. Mm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and one thing that I know you don't really think of yourself as, as, a, as a painter per se, but one of the things that I think is cool about your work um, that I think uh, a lot of people who work digitally uh, sometimes lose because of the infinite possibility of, of digital. Uh, and, and I think that the gravity of, of real paint and the gravity of real charcoal lends a certain weight to the artwork, a certain feeling of, 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 uh, of heaviness. And, uh, and that is so present in, in your work. Uh, and that made me kind of wonder, are you... Are you influenced by some of the classic painters like, you know, John Singer Sargent and, uh, and even someone like Richard Schmid? Uh, I, yeah, John Singer Sargent um, 
is an influence for sure. As I read in somewhere that he he draws or paints, draws and paints things over and over again to make the end result feel effortless. And I relate to that because I, I do draw a lot. But before that, painting always felt like some very long, laborious thing. I mean, I, I guess it can be, uh, but I guess at my core, I'm more of a draftsman. I didn't explore real paint ever uh, to uh, any like degree outside of like class. I'd you know do acrylic or an oil here and there as much as I could stand the fumes and whatnot. As far as reading that about Sargent and his work feels effortless and yet captures, uh, he's also, he just seems like a very great draftsman himself within the painting medium. Well, I, see a, I see a lot of his uh, philosophy kind of speak into your, your brushwork uh, where you're, you're not, using the brush to reproduce, you're kind of using the brush to capture the, uh, the, the feeling of a material more so than, than the absolute documentation of that material. And, uh, and, and something else that I, that I really find fascinating, and, and I, I always find myself trying to do it, but sometimes failing at it, is your ability to not finish the piece, but take it to the point where you hand it over to the viewer and have them finish it. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that, that, that really, is that, is that something that, um, that you cultivate in your work, that, that, that feeling of, of this is not quite done, you do the rest and customize it the way you want it. Yeah, that's something that I've, uh, over time, really tried to get uh, good at like, working in, triple a games for so long and now film things have to be spelled out for other people to make so uh, trying to ride that line of where can i spell out the materials and the design that way someone else can make it and then also add in some not so super straightforward marks, whether it's on the edges to feel a bit more uh, like my style. And yeah, that's definitely a... Um, well, that's, that's really, I, I never really considered that. Uh, like I, I, I always think of it, you know, coming from the school of, of when I do art, that's the end of the production. You know, it's pretty much, that's what the viewer is going to see. But I guess uh, with a lot of the stuff that you're seeing, when you're doing the art, it's not the end of the production. Someone else has to come in and, and uh, reproduce that, um, do a 3D model of that, or do a costume of that. So I guess, uh, I guess the, the act of not quite being photorealistic with your finishes sort of allows them a little collaboration space, you know, allows them to put, their, put themselves into it rather than locking them into um, what, what you're saying has to be done. Right, yeah, and that process varies from studio to studio. Uh, like some studios, the 3D artists could take a, a blurry sketch or 
you know, something very loose and run with it themselves. And it's all good. And then another studio, you may have to, like, I might be in the position where I can't put anything even remotely ambiguous. I, all the edges have to be spelled out uh, exactly. Uh, none is better or worse. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, however, those types of works that are spelled out exactly and have no room for uh, lost edges and whatnot. Yeah. I, that is so much of my career. Uh, and it's, I see that as like production art. So I don't, I don't really put that. Well, I don't put that in my portfolio. Uh, yeah. I see it as production art. So. Yeah. yeah there, there is that, that arc of, uh, of producing uh, a piece especially when you're when you're doing concept work where it's like okay this is the idea that i have and and the idea is so cool and i can give it to you in the simplest of like brushwork or whatever and you see the idea and and in my opinion everything beyond that is just protracted rendering <laughs> you know and uh, and that's that's the stuff where you're not really inventing anymore you're just kind of polishing and polishing and polishing and uh and and that stuff it, if it's a cover for a book then i can polish all day long and enjoy it but when i'm just polishing an idea sometimes it feels like you're polishing it to death <laughs> you know? yeah that um that happens and uh i don't i try not to do that so much anymore because it, uh, it's a bit of a waste of time uh, unless you unless the goal is to put it on your portfolio somewhere um, I, I definitely will put in the time to do that can I have a question for the both of you can, can you talk about your approach to designing the Fantastic Four and how they both compare and contrast <laughs> Brian, you first. We shall, we shall ignore those questions. <laughs> I just hear crickets. Why do I just hear crickets? I hear NDAs being torn in half and lawyers tapping on desks. Uh, uh, and and some, something else that I, that I think uh, the, the original um, spot where I started seeing your stuff was, uh, was really not any of your finished work. Um, but uh, but some of your figure drawing and uh, and I usually have folders of just figure drawings that I kind of steal from offline and just kind of go hey this stuff is really cool uh, and uh, and I think it's I, I find it always interesting that a lot of times the people who do really good concept work um, they also do great figure drawing. Me personally, I see that as, as kind of figure drawing teaches me how to lie, you know, and, and when I actually do concept work, then I can lie more effectively because I don't really have to lie about the little or the big things. I can lie about the little things. Um, uh, do you really kind of feel like your, your figure drawing makes you uh, a more efficient uh, concept artist or do you consider those two separate things oh yeah uh 
especially, I mean, I think most of the work that I do is character related and figure drawing helps me to uh, have someone in a standing pose that is a bit more interesting when they're standing or if uh, it's not often I am able to do an action pose, especially in games uh, in a production setting, because if it's a leg is hiding something, then you'll have to redraw them in a standing pose anyway. Uh, But figure drawing helps me make uh, just different nuances about someone standing and make it more believable. And, uh, and it also makes me uh, less reliant on reference. I almost always use reference, but like in the little spaces, like, uh, I don't know, things like armpits or hands or like the wrists moving a certain way. Uh, those are definitely giveaways. If someone, if a yeah, hands and heads and feet are important aspects that I take from figure drawing to make a piece feel natural. So. Uh, I, I think the urgency of a uh, figure drawing, you know, it's the the fact that you have no idea what the model's going to do. The model does it, and you have five, ten, twenty minutes to to just get it down. I think I think that urgency forces you to really figure out what's most important about this thing and throw out the minutia. Uh, and and I think for, for me, the most awesome thing about that is, is like, if I was left on my own, I would draw too much all the time. <laughs> but, but the fact that there is a time limit, um, that puts me in a space of learning rather than just, you know, kind of, ooh, let me learn how to do this perfectly. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, it's, um, and since they are, especially in the more uh, short timed poses, it helps me, it helps you practice like taking a snapshot of what you see mm. in your mind <laughs> of what you see and then putting it down on paper. So you're forced to sort of remember the angle of, of an arm and, and put it down and I find the more that I do that over and over again, you know, over the course of time in life drawing, um, I'll go to those snapshots that I've uh, put yeah. down on paper and uh, I can start a new character based on those snapshots. You, you develop a huge vocabulary of just iconography, you know? Oh, yeah. I know that these three shapes make an eye, <laughs> you know, and... And I can I can do that anywhere, um, and uh, and I, I think for one of the things that I find fascinating is is when you're not bogged down by the mechanics of let me draw this figure correct, you kind of open yourself up to well, what is this supposed to feel like? What task you know you can think about the more esoteric stuff rather than thinking about the mechanics of, uh, of, of drawing. And, uh, and when I look at the, uh, the concept stuff that you do, it just seems like you're just what I would call drawing with the arm rather than drawing with the fingers. <laughs> I'm glad that comes across. <laughs> yeah, the, the life drawing definitely uh, helps 
especially if you're putting clothes on on a character or concept or even putting uh, armors, different armors, uh, the way that they sit on on the body, um, being familiar with with the figure, even when you're having like this uh, uh, like connection with hopefully you know what I'm talking about there's like a phys- like a physical connection to like seeing the figure that you're drawing yeah um, yeah <laughs> how to explain it's something like uh, the mind not mind muscle in working out you're like thinking about the muscle as you're working out as you're working out but with life drawing you're I try to see, be conscious of my own limbs and body mm. while I'm <laughs> life drawing. It it always sounds funny to explain, but um, that's kind of how I see life drawing. How I oh yeah, now, my my girlfriend was that, uh, as as like um, an inner truthfulness. You know, there's there's something you know that you're that you're telling the truth because it's something that you've seen, it's something that you've experienced, it's something that you can, you can feel. And, and to, the coolest thing is, oh, I drew this figure maybe even years ago from this model, and there's a certain feeling that it had, that the model had. And now that I have to draw this guy with a giant sword in armor, okay, I can transfer that truthful feeling over into this yes and yes. uh and, and and that i i think those things are are the the things that trigger the the viewer that that truthfulness uh you know when when you when you sit back and you say oh this guy's an asshole <laughs> you know so let me like draw this and and the viewer can just look at the concept art and kind of go yeah he's an asshole <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> those, those moments to me are the are the absolute most fun when you can kind of conjure you know sort of that uh that truth from from all that experience that uh, that you have with life drawing oh man i love that i'm gonna take that from now on the inner truthfulness yeah i love that <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's a she's a lot smarter than I am sometimes. <laughs> you know, most times, I'd uh, I'd say. Um, oh, only when you're both awake. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but Naomi and Brian, did you guys know each other from before, or is this your first time meeting? I don't think I've met you before, have I? No, I'm just unfamiliar with your work, but this is the first time meeting. Yeah. Uh, uh, even though uh, we both work for the uh, same company right now, I think, <laughs> which we will not discuss. <laughs> well, okay. So tell me this: Can we at least talk about stuff that's that you've worked on that's now out that we've all seen oh, yeah. uh, from, from the from the mouse house of mouse? And actually, you know, it would be kind of cool too. To uh, I'm not the video game guy, so that I would defer to sean here to tell some of the you know some of our listeners some of the cool shit you've worked on most recent 2020 um ghost of tsushima before that i worked on guild wars 2 it's a pc mmo 
that studio is Arena Net. I did work six months in um, phone games, mobile games. And <laughs> after Activision, I worked on mobile games for six months and cannot remember the name of any of the games. It was a, it was an interesting, interesting time. Way just total opposite of, of uh, drawing like life drawing or anything or organic. Right. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The last two years is a blur for 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 everyone. And do you oh. do you find it's um it's a difference like uh, I, I found that it's a it's a really stark difference with working in comics working for the uh the studios doing doing concept do you find um a major difference between working in um gaming and working in animation oh gosh uh so in animation i did work at netflix for uh gosh, short time also, six months, six or nine months. And that was my first time actually in like animation. Animation, so games, animation, and film are, are the things I'm um, most familiar with, but animation even like way less so. It's it's a whole different beast that I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with. Uh, so I went on a project way early and as a character designer and uh, it was the beginning the like blue sky phase everyone have fun there's no rules just do whatever your heart desires <laughs> the, uh, it was really fun uh, and then there's the actually actual making of the show or game or movie and i'm very familiar with that pipeline for the most part on the art side and video games uh i am not familiar with it in animation and it's it's quite it's quite different and <laughs> very i know so little about it that i it's hard to explain what i don't know about it so uh i just know that's quite different and uh, i have major a lot like a newfound major respect for animators, designers, background designers, storyboard artists. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, you mean you mean the people that actually do the work. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm over here drawing pretty pictures and I'm like, yeah. all right, Naomi. Uh, I mean for the for the most part, we're like the fighter pilots that sort of come in and drop bombs and go back to the uh <laughs> Yes, that's us. <laughs> sort of chill out. Goose. <laughs> <laughs> We're not good. guys. So you worked on the Love, Death of Robots, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, so and you worked with Tim? Not Tim. Thinking on the names again. But no, I, I did work with Tim uh, briefly on um, early stuff for Deadpool 2. Tim is wonderful. He's one of my favorite people in Hollywood. Oh, my gosh, Tim. So he, well, okay. So he uh, was such a great art director experience. Mm -hmm. And I had been having a hard time um, where I was at. And the back and forth with Tim as an art director, he's just very 
he's straightforward, just really cool, uh, you know, doesn't beat around the bush with feedback. Uh, but the feedback was always very constructive and, and always came with like, cool, keep going, uh, very, very kind and, and, and things like this. Uh, but before that, my, um, my experience, it wasn't like that. It was a little bit less communication and um, yeah. a little bit hazy in the like gray area. And after a while, you start to get in your head and be like, "Oh, am I? Is it me? Or am I doing something? Or how is?" It? So he's just such a great example of communication. So, so just to clarify, we're talking about Tim Miller. He was the director of the first Deadpool of the latest Terminator, and he also leads Blur Studios which uh, is largely responsible for love, death, and robots as well. Um, and also just a stellar human being, just oh a great guy and a great leader. Yeah, it was such a great experience that I was like, hey, maybe I'll uh, branch out and uh, see what it's like to work for other folks. And um I was at the previous job for four and a half years and was freelancing mm -hmm. for him. And after that gig was over, I freelanced with another uh, another studio or company, Wizards of the Coast, and experience with them was also really great. So the communication with the art director that I was working with at that time was amazing. So I was like, hey, this... This is amazing. I'll, I'll go off and and see the rest of the world. Hell yeah, Naomi! It, <laughs> it really makes a makes a huge difference uh, because I think I think with with most artists we we have this this weird thing where a great art director kind of encourages us to do our best work. Whereas I think if we're left on our own, we'll just get lazy, you know. And if we're if we're not given good communication, it's just kind of confusing, and you kind of get into this weird kind of like ego thing. But uh, but if you're working with a great uh, art director, it's it's just fantastic. I mean, it, it's uh, it's like you want to stretch, you want to please that person, you want to jump out and do your absolute best work. And that makes uh, a huge difference. I think, I think with with comics, a lot of times uh, you're kind of left on your own for long <laughs> periods of time. <laughs> and, and it's because sort of, you don't answer your phone when I call. I kid, I kid. Does he? When he's in a good mood, yeah, he, he's quick to answer. Yeah, <laughs> when 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 I'm when I'm ruining that cover for the previous deadline, crickets for a day or two. <laughs> but he always delivers. It's all good. I'm just messing with Brian. <laughs> if, if I could just like give one more word of praise to Tim, like when the pandemic hit, he didn't have any projects. He could have well shuttered his company, but he just kept it running so his employees wouldn't be laid off. And, you know, he didn't have anything because the pandemic shut everything down. But he was just like, we, we talk so much about heroes and villains in our stories, but here's a chance to be a hero in real life. And so he just stuck it out and, and it's doing fine. Yeah, you know, I, I, that's an amazing thing to hear. And, and I know a lot of people that as soon as the pandemic hit, you know, 
in all all businesses, multiple kinds of businesses, they they shut the tank place down, they laid off their employees, and you know, and they just we're gonna ride it out. Um, but the people that took care of their employees and said, look, you know, either I can't pay you what I was paying you, but I'm gonna pay you this. You know, I'm going to do whatever I can to help, or mm-hmm. you know, we're just going to keep working, and we're just we'll come up with new things to work on. Uh, those people retain their employees, and the and the ones that that were quick to let everybody go and thought they would just be able to get them right back. Those companies don't have employees now, sure, you know, because people left and they went and found something new to do, uh, and they didn't, you know, they didn't stick around for the for the places that didn't care for them at all. Um, just as an aside, but that's great to hear about Tim that he did that. Yeah, Naomi, like if you ever want to come back, if we don't scare you off, we can invite Tim on as well. Oh my gosh. Uh, No, it's, yeah, that, um, when I got the email from him, so, you know, so long ago saying if I wanted to help out with that project, I mean, it, it was such a huge moment. I remember being shocked at someone reaching out to to work on that and it was just so cool i remember where i was i started crying and it was june of i forget what year but it was june and i was crying on the floor of happiness and just so grateful for that, that opportunity and his way of communicating just really opened my eyes yeah great guy um if i can stretch back a little bit so it seems like you were in video game space were you a comic fan growing up at all yes uh, I couldn't tell you like issues or years or anything, but I, I really loved looking at, um, X-Men. Sure. Um, Wildstorm stuff. Oh yeah. Jim Lee's work. I mean, Mark Silvestri, Witchblade. Oh, <laughs> man, well, that's, that's all, that's all the good stuff. That's, that's <laughs> stuff that, that really wrecked the grade curve for all of the rest of us. <laughs> Michael Turner, man, that that guy made felt fashionable characters. That stuff came at a perfect time because it really changed the temperature of everything. It was it was suddenly suddenly the bar got raised and and everyone had to jump just a little bit higher. Uh, and uh, and it was it was really I think uh, appreciated by by the fans. Uh, probably hated. <laughs> by the artists on the margin but uh but i i really love you go through these these phases with the industry mm-hmm. where you kind of get to the point where it's just like when you when you get into the industry sometimes you you lose a lot of the joy of it but it was really cool to be in a brand new comic book artist when those guys were doing their stuff and it was just like suddenly I was like a comic book, not not a comic book professional, but a comic book fan again. Right. Yeah, and that was it was it was just so so nice to just be a, a reawakened to the joy of uh, of comics by this incredible uh, artwork that was doing uh, being produced at the time. Yeah, Naomi, I asked because I was looking at your shelf and I thought I saw some Junji Ito, but I, I could be mistaken. Oh, there is <laughs> How, like it's uh, so, so interesting because i think junji like transcends transcends every demographic like i talk to people who are like lawyers who didn't grow up with comics and they still knew junji ito it's 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 which is so odd because it's so horrific and disturbing um uh, i think one or two of those books i have not read 
yet because I mostly read at night, but it's too scary to read at night. So um, yeah, they're unread. So uh, scary. <laughs> but he also has like a wonderful way of how to describe this. Like I, I look at your, your art, Naomi, it's like the anatomy is very thought out. It's very intentional and you can tell that you look at the human body and you are making sure that arms and shoulders and sternums and all these parts like connect and make sense. And the thing about Junji Ito is that he does the same thing, except what if a human body was put into a spiral or what yeah. if it was melted and dissolving? So yeah. I, I think I, I, there, there is a connection. You're just much less disturbing in your... Uh, fidelity and your honoring of the human form so far so far yeah. well, this, I, and i think it, it, it goes along those lines uh, one of the things uh, when i would pick up your uh figure drawings it's really kind of funny because there's a boldness to it you know there's like this dynamicism there's this boldness there's this energy and then when i was looking at um, more of your concept stuff i was just like oh wow look at this stuff and then seeing you it's just like huh <laughs> you know it's just like it's like that's this is a quiet unassuming person doing this loud obnoxious art <laughs> you know, so, so it's like there's there's a real disconnect uh, whereas whereas i think a lot of times um when you when you meet the artist it's just like oh of course you know like when, when i met simon bisley and uh and bill sinkevich i was just like oh of course that's who they are you know, because they are, their, their art is kind of a sort of reflection of exactly who they are on, on the outside to a certain extent. But, uh, but I think, I think your quiet, almost shy self completely belies the sort of strength of, uh, of, of your art. You know, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really kind of funny to see such a di you know a dichotomy between you and your art uh i i grew up with uh heavy metal and metal <laughs> and uh yes. my dad grew up in i mean he didn't grow up in the 80s but he like why well, grew up in the 90s he was playing a lot of metal and there was a lot of hair bands oh wow wow hair, hair i like bands. your dad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a band uh dudes working on cars were in bands uh he, he was a dude working on cars and he was in a band uh, he was a mechanic i don't and i grew up with uh one brother um and we it, it was kind of a running around in the streets campsites you know we did a lot of camping and so we were just like loose children uh like watching anime playing games and listening to metal and and then green day so uh my background is it is maybe full of those types of things yeah um, and so it's that's a huge influence on on my work uh, I think nowadays, and uh, as far as the outside goes, gosh, I mean, I was a huge tomboy until I think I was like 15, and my mom bought some some clothes that like fit me, and she's like, "You're gonna dress like a girl." 
<laughs> Starting today. Oh, wow. Wait, wait, I have to go back. What metal <laughs> do you listen to? Like, I got so excited. Oh, uh, oh gosh, let me look at, I have a, like a 90s playlist. I, I think we have to make a new scoff. podcast right now that's just like <laughs> artists in the metal they listen to. Uh, totally, like we, and we don't ever promote our social media, like, but we need to put this up when, when the, uh, for everybody to go with, you need to share your playlist. You can tweet it out. Uh, people will get a kick out of it. Is this even metal? What is it? Uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Yes. Uh, Metallica. Yes. Oh, yes. Megadeth. Yes. Uh, Perfect Circle. Yeah, Alice in Chains. I'm yes. Like, I really love Alice in Chains. <laughs> My college days, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, a little bit of Pearl Jam. I love Lita Ford as a person. Wow. <laughs> Taking it back, man. That was like high school for me, I think. I had a crush on her. I think oh, I bought her CD because of that, just because I saw it. Back in those oh. days, you know, you would just go CD shopping. And I saw that CD and I'm like, oh, I'm totally buying this. I think there was one good song on it, but uh, <laughs> she was a, kind of a one hit wonder. So she got my 20 bucks because of hey. that CD cover. <laughs> Yeah, her song with Ozzy, uh, Close My Eyes Forever. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, so that, that's, that, I think that was after the album that she became super popular and did the song with Ozzy. I'd for, totally forgotten that. That's so funny. Man. Man. <laughs> this is, uh, I'm just totally blown away because I was not expecting this. Oh, I was. Have you seen her art? <laughs> well, it all makes sense to me now. I should have. But yeah. no, I, I didn't see this coming. Because I listened to I listened to one or two of your uh, interviews that were online with like the art centric, you know, more you're, you're being nice, Kevin, teacherly uh, kind of things. And um, yeah, like I didn't expect this from you. That's really fun. It's cool. That's why that's why our, our podcast is a little different, because we ask the questions that nobody thinks about asking. But it's because there's alcohol, Kevin. <laughs> well, that's true, too. Well, only for me, though. You guys are drinking. What are you I'm, drinking, I'm drinking seed. I'm drinking CBD soda because I'm behind on deadlines. So after this, yeah. I'd be more behind on deadlines by wrecking my current work if I was drinking alcohol. Yeah, see, the two metalheads are drinking. Uh, well, I think this would probably make <laughs> if, uh, if if we saw you before the mom makeover. I think yeah. your mom did a wonderful job. You have great style. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you evolved into your own self. You're still not taking fashion tips, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, definitely apparent. Oh, she'll I'll let her know that when <laughs> <laughs> she'll be excited to hear. She'll probably be like, oh, I already know. <laughs> one one of the things um that, that I've noticed also is that uh, you end up doing not just work for other companies, but um, but you'll, from time to time, post something that's just your own thing, that you're just kind of like, ah, felt like drawing this, felt like, you know, sort of doing this piece. Uh, and and I find that those, those pieces tend to be a little bit more expressive than the stuff that you do um, for companies. Um, are you actually finding that doing that stuff kind of, moves the companies toward you um kind of opens your kind of horizons to do more expressive stuff that's along the lines of what you want to do so the question is if those pieces 
uh, move companies to come to me to do things that I want to do? Yeah, come to, come to you to do that type of work. That type of work. Um, it has. Awesome. It has, yes. Uh, so when uh, like a student or some someone sort of newer to industry is wondering how to uh, jump in, one of my advices is to do something that they want to do but ah. make it at a finished level at, at the very least uh, that way if you you know companies come to you it'll be for the work that you enjoyed to do those personal works mm, i do tend to post things that i want to do because i don't want to stay within uh, I don't want to feel like I'm doing things because everyone else is doing it yeah. uh, because that that makes the work that I do uh, like not as authentic as like corny as this all sounds but I do make sure try and make sure that they are finished uh, uh, finished yeah. as possible right so if it were for a studio this is what the end product would be but it's also something that I want to do which which is cool because it's 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 your own stuff but it's your own stuff at a professional level uh and mm -hmm. and, and I think I think oftentimes uh on a job you don't get the opportunity to take as much chances you don't get the opportunity because you're you're working within certain constraints and uh and I don't know how often you get a you get a chance to to do that sort of stuff, but uh, but those are the things that I that, that I love, where you can just kind of go, well, let me just try this out and, and see how it works. And uh, and I found that uh, a lot of times when I do that, you know, a lot of the companies go, you can do that. Well, do that for us. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the best case scenario. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Then, then you, 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 you kind of stay in that. That, and, and I really back you up on that. Uh, it, it is, and, and I think authentic. It, even though it's a, it's, it's come to be a, cor a corny word. It's, it's really the best word you know, so to, to describe it. It's just like I find doing this work satisfying, and if people ask me to do that work, then I'm satisfied. <laughs> you know, yes. this is. This is, you know, very, um, very truthful to me. Yes. Yeah, and it's and it's 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 great when you can kind of, uh, especially uh, a person like yourself who has a a really broad vocabulary, being able to kind of even within that open up new avenues that you can travel in. So I keep to to life drawing to. Um, always kind of do what I want to do. Uh, and it helps me be better at doing character concepts, which is, you know, definitely what I want to do most. So um, in some portfolios, I see bits and bobs of different genres. Like here's a, a soldier and here's a, uh, you know, a medieval soldier or here's a, a prop of a like a ladder prop in my portfolio or 
There's a Smurf-like character. And I ask some of these folks, like, are you, you know, passionate? Would you really want to do props? Or which one do you want to do the most? Uh, it would benefit you greatly to pick, pick one of them and just do your best in one of them. It's scary to say that because you're like, what? Only one thing? But that's just been my experience. I don't know if you put a lot of passion into, uh, well, if you have a passion for a certain thing, like for me, it's characters. If sometimes putting your eggs in that basket and just making that the best that it can be, like looking at tutorials or getting into a community of other artists that might be able to give you feedback, taking a class to supplement an area that is uh, could be a little bit better, all to make uh, what you enjoy the most, uh, all to make that the best that it can be. And like, even a, especially in a professional setting and then to go into a professional setting. Yeah, that's. Uh, and, and what's, what's gotta be the worst thing in the world is to get hired to do something you hate. You know, that's got to be, that's got to be like the worst thing, you know, if, if you get a job based on something you put in your portfolio that you don't like doing, but you think you can get hired for, and that job is something you hate, but you still have to do it. And then you run the risk of, if you've done it well, you'll get asked to do that thing you hate again. That's, yeah, that's very not ideal. Uh, Na Naomi, will you mm -hmm. make some uh, more cell phone games for me? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh. <laughs> no, which, which is, is uh, I, I think um, as, as an artist, it's kind of really terrifying to say no to something. You know, it's, it, it's just absolutely terrifying. But, uh, but I always always find that uh, that on the occasion where someone comes to me, even when they show up with a truckload of money and they go, hey, we want you to do this thing you hate. I always like, you know, really hate myself for saying it, but, you know, I always tend to kind of go, nah, it's not really something I'm into. Um, and it hurts at the time, but, uh, but in the long run, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always cool. And getting the opportunity, like you said, you know, there, there have been times where I won't admit to crying on the floor <laughs> when, when I, when I get that job, that's just, oh, this is exactly what I've been sort of working for. And this is the job that I want. There's, there's just nothing more, more fascinating and, and satisfying than that. Yeah, totally. Oh. There is something to be said about uh, getting your foot in the door if there's a way for that door to be somewhat close to what you want to do, that's best. Uh, otherwise, like you said, you will, might get pigeonholed and be kind of like stuck there forever. Uh, well, what may feel like forever, that's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, there's this, uh, this term uh, that I have, which is uh, being a fireman. Yeah, and and uh, not so much in concept, but I know in, in comics where an editor needs a book done in a weekend you know and it's just like i need 22 pages drawn this weekend 
and, and someone will go, oh man, but, but I'll get my foot in the door if I do this. And, and they end up doing the work and the work ends up being terrible because no one can do work that fast. We still greatly appreciate all those people. And sometimes it's outside <laughs> of the editor's hands. Yeah, right. but the problem becomes uh, when, the, when the editor has that cherry job, that, that amazing job, they're not gonna call that person. They're only gonna call that person when the house is on fire. So that person becomes a fireman because they took that job of putting out a fire. And it's rare that editors call firemen, you know, sort of when they want someone to like marry their son or, or do anything important. So many metaphors going on right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, so wow. I always uh, do the thing of like, try to put your best work out there and uh, don't advertise that you do something you hate. Yeah, well, and that's a good thing too about the world we're in today that wasn't the case, you know, Brian, like when you started, because now you can put all your stuff out and, and on your social media and Instagram and TikTok or whatever the flavor of the day is, but people can go and see what you really like to do because you can show them. And if you, if you, got, if you got hired to do something you hate, you don't have to put that work up, you know? Um, and so it's, it's, I guess it's gotta be great for, you know, for, for new artists now, young artists or, or even anybody that's been in the, in the industry for a while, like you may get hired to draw superhero books because you've always drawn good superhero books. And then you put some stuff up where you're like, oh my God, this guy could do some really hardcore war. I'm going to hire him to do a, a crime book because I didn't know that. He's been drawing Superman all these years. So now you can actually kind of show off where before editors, you know, <clears throat> you know, editor in comics is a tough job. Uh, and you're usually doing way too many books and way too many deadlines. And, uh, you know, but back in the day, if, if you didn't see that artist portfolio, you just knew that he was drawing these other books for this other company or whatever you hire him off of that. Now you can actually just showcase to the world, which is, which has kind of got to be, you know, a nice change for, uh, everybody working today. At the end of college, I think one of the call or perhaps not the end of college, but uh, I didn't finish college. Um, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Awesome. <laughs> oh yes. You heard it here first. You will work oh, for Marvel if you don't finish college. Oh wow, what a message. Well, stay in school, kids. <laughs> at least middle at least get through middle school. In school, don't <laughs> Seventh grade, you're good. Call it a day. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a class where uh, it was like portfolio prep and we had to uh, put together physical portfolios that we would eventually send out to different companies. Uh, I don't know if it's, they did that on the West Coast or anything, but on the East Coast, uh, I get the impression that it was, there's a lot of uh, editorial and magazine artists. Yeah. So uh, going to school in Virginia, they're like, oh, you're going to make a physical portfolio and make a box for it or, you know, be fancy and like send all these different boxes to, to potential clients and things. But uh, that was, I think, right on the cusp because I was still posting things on on blogs and whatnot but it was either right on the edge or right before 
social media where you just posted your work? Oh yeah, yeah. glad yeah. I didn't have to. Yeah, those 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 were beautiful times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're gone now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it it is it is kind of a a, a marked difference um, between like the times where you put together a physical portfolio and uh, multiple copies of it and send it around to art directors at ad agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas now a lot of that stuff is kind of it's kind of moved on online. And I actually really like that because I think it's um it's it's a great equalizer uh, because to a certain extent you're not there to represent your art, your art stands kind of on its own. Uh, I think all all too often as an artist you're judged before you know someone sees your work. Uh, but with everything being online now, it's just, okay, this person's art is great. You know, we don't like this person's art. Let's hire this person. <laughs> you know, and it, it doesn't matter who you are or anything like that. And I think, I think that's, that's, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, so those, so that's, that's one thing about the old days that I, I don't mind going. <laughs> <laughs> there are any uh, upcoming things that you're doing as far as like, uh, I know that you you do a sketchbook from uh, from time to time, uh, and and put up stuff like that. Uh, Going to be um, working on any upcoming projects, or is there any uh, upcoming conventions uh, that you'll be uh, taking on? Uh, so I haven't. I've never done a sketchbook. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've not done conventions either. I have no projects or anything extra on the horizon. Oh, I thought, I thought you did a light table. A uh, light box? Oh, light box. I did a panel last year at Lightbox with some other film production folks. That's the, yeah, that's the extent I, from what I can remember as far as conventions go. I generally like to just be an anonymous face in the crowd and just kind of poke around the artist alley and see what's what's awesome and or just what's cool. So. <laughs> but when the world gets back to normal and everybody, I mean, I'm still not doing conventions yet just because it doesn't seem, I don't know, it's, uh, I guess that we ought to start, I mean, some people are, but when we start doing the real, real convention scene again, you should do a sketchbook and come hang out with us at a show. Is uh You'd have a lot of fun. Which sounds like something she wants to do. You need to do this. Yeah. You need to show (laughs) off your, show off your sketchbook. People love that stuff. People still like printed material. (laughs) Kevin, I'll be at WonderCon in like two weeks. And then TCAP in June, it's all starting again. It's crazy. It's all starting back. Yeah. I'm just not in the mode. I've got to get, I've got to get prepped. And for me, it's not, it's just the, the, I, I got out of, I used to do them all the time mm-hmm. and I was already backed off before the pandemic and then they just kind of went away. And now I've got to like get geared back up because for me, it's like, it's a lot of work to go to a show. It's, so. I mean, have you seen a couch? Have you seen a TV? Like those are the things that make me not want to go to a convention. <laughs> yes. And Naomi, as we were just saying, you do have something amazing going on and you are on your third new, your second new game of Elden Ring. Uh, yes second new game that's so impressive because i know people who are just like on like the third or fourth major boss like that skills you can put that (laughs) on your resume yeah (laughs) good 
good time management is uh, key. There you go. Uh, no, I do play a lot of video games when I can. And uh, I'm very good at finding time and squeezing that video game time. Well, well Naomi, <laughs> I have to ask, besides Elden Ring, what have you been playing with that had an art direction that really smacked you in the face? I'd have to say, it, you know, to get out of the Souls type of realm, Dark Souls realm, is Neo. Yeah. Is, uh, you're familiar. Yeah. Neo 1 and especially 2. Uh, they just balance history and realism and fantastical very, very well. Uh, it's very well balanced, fun to play, fun to co-op, infinite possibilities with your characters. I don't know if I can call it Feudal Japan, but it's a Japanese uh, action game. It's Team Ninja, right? The same folks who made like uh, Ninja Gaiden back in the day on the Xboxes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that game. Over. Oh my gosh, I hesitate. <laughs> it's a lot of hours. Over the years, I've maybe put in between one and two, like 1,500 hours into those games. They're just beautiful, bright, just very well-made, well-made games. They feel like action games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Naomi, thank you so very much for joining our podcast and hanging out with us. We're taking vital time away from your Elden Ring journey. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, so. Can we move it along? Wrap this up. I have a jar oh. city to get to. Oh, gosh. Uh, thanks for having me. This is fun. I love to be able to talk about uh, music and a little bit of whiskey. Uh, two yeah. very lesser known passions. Yes. <laughs> Mine. They all dovetail together pretty harmoniously. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you've you've made the whole thing make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, brought it all together. Usually, uh, usually sure. the question is is what are your influences, and and that didn't offer any answers to me. But it's the moment you said heavy metal, I'm like, oh, there it is. Got it. Um, yep. <laughs> and I totally want your pay- playlist. Are you uh, do you Spotify or Apple Music? Spotify. Okay, perfect. Yes. So we're totally going to, you're going to have to share this with us. Yeah, we'll we'll hit you up uh, afterwards and and trade some playlists. But you do absolutely incredible work. uh, I mean, everything, like like I said uh, at the beginning, it's it's very stylistic. It's it's very uh, truthful and it's, it's, there's definitely passion in everything that you do. And, uh, and it's it's so so much fun grabbing stuff off of your Instagram <laughs> and, uh, and collecting it in in my little Naomi folder. Um, so so keep keep posting, and I'm I'm gonna keep grabbing stuff. Awesome! Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so very much for checking in on our podcast. That was Miss Naomi Baker. She is a senior illustrator from Marvel Studios. Uh, Metalhead Naomi Baker, to be clear. Yeah, I think that was the most fun revelation we've had so far on the podcast uh, series. Just like the thing that I did not see coming. And then Brian was like, well, we should have seen it coming because of course, look at her, look at her work. But she's just so reserved. And the fact that she starts talking about all these metal bands, uh, that that actually made... This wasn't part of the recorded conversation, but... 
She was talking about how she used to wear Jinkos and her dad used to drop her off at uh, Ozfest during the 90s. I'm like, it all comes full circle. That's right. We're getting to the deep, deepest corners of, uh, of our guests from now on. This is, we've got to make this a trend. Yes, check out Naomi Baker's Instagram page. That is N-A-O-M-I-F-U-L. And this is just some lovely artwork that transcends both comics into various uh, fine art corners, if you will, as well as uh, portraying some of the more fanciful elements of her work. So this is Naomi Baker. Thank you so very much. And Kevin, who do we have next? Oh, and apologies. We keep on saying we're going to be doing this more or less monthly. Uh, And then I got COVID and was traveling. so, So I'm going to say that the next podcast, if we can record it early, I'm going to make a promise to Kevin. It will be out within a week and a half to two weeks of the initial recording. My, my, my gift to you all. Don't make promises you can't keep. So our next guest is the talented Mark Siegel. Yes, Mark Siegel. This is a man who, he's so multifaceted and multi-talented that I don't necessarily know where to begin, but he oversees and is the creative director of First Second Books, a very, very ambitious, specializes, I would say, in in YA, but has so much more going on there. But also, Mark is an amazingly talented artist. So Oscar and the Eight Blessings, and his series that he does in a studio style called Five Worlds, which which is very Mobius inspired. He actually used to take lessons from Mobius in France when he was a child. So Mark is one of those guys who's a little bit of a renaissance man in the industry, where he's an excellent editor, designer, artist, and writer, and uh, also just a sweetheart of a person. So absolutely looking forward to having him on the podcast. Yeah, and I I already feel like, um, you know, I think I'm busy in this. So I'm curious to see how, how he juggles all of this stuff. Sure, sure. He still has time for a podcast. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you so very much. And hopefully we'll see you very soon. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>